you and I, in different seasons of our life, we have to make huge choices. And what we have found out is that the bigger choices in life are much, much easier to make when we have decided to focus in on those small, everyday choices. Because um, it's a small choices no one sees that result in the big impact everyone wants to make. It's the small choices that no one sees. So those small little things, and then when you're able to do those things, you're walking with the Lord, you are, um, you're, you're treating people the way Jesus would treat them, you, you're, you're exemplifying the fruit of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, and all of those. And so when you and I are doing those things, those bigger decisions are much easier, and God will speak in huge ways. Uh, in, in our first week, we, we talked about starting and stopping and, and how we've got to start some things and stop some things. And, and uh, we actually uh, looked at um, the, the idea, the fact that when you, when you start some things, sometimes we like to make sure that there's a clean slate. Like, we like to start when things are just going well. Can I tell you something? When you need to start some things, there's a good indication that things aren't going well. And you don't need to make sure everything's working just right. If you're lost, you don't go all the way back home and start home. If you're following your GPS and you get lost on a trip, it doesn't bring you all the way, all the way back home. When you want to start something, you have to start from where you are. Just start from where you are. And when you want to start some things, start one thing at a time. But the Holy Spirit, if God's calling you to do some things in your life that you know you've got to be doing, just do one of those, tackle one of those things at a time. But there's also some things we've got to stop. Just like going on a trip, you start and you stop. Could be some acts of unrighteousness in your life. You know you've got to stop. But there also could be some things that, not necessarily bad, but that are keeping you from doing and starting the things that you know you should be doing. And so we, uh, we looked at starting and stopping. In our week two, we talked about should I stay or should I go? You and I have probably asked ourselves this question. Should I stay or should I go? Should I stay with this job or go to a different job? Should I relocate my family or go? Should I stay with this person um, for the rest of my life or should I go? Those are huge questions that you and I have asked. Um, maybe not all of those questions, but we, uh, we have asked those questions before to where we, we wrestle with those things, wrestle with those things. And so we, um, we want to make sure we're following God's direction. And we use the story of Ruth and how she decided to stay with her, her mother-in-law, Naomi. And she said, you know, Naomi, I want to stay with you. I don't want to go back uh, to where it's easier uh, there in Moab with my country. I want to, I want to stay with you. And I want to be able to uh, be committed to what you are doing. I want to learn your language. I want to learn your God. And I want to get to know him. And it would have been easier for her to just go back to where she was. And sometimes you and I, we think, well, let's just do what's easiest. That's not always the right answer. Sometimes staying put, staying is tough. Some of you could be in a relationship where it's tough. It's difficult to stay, but if you know God's called you to that, you need to stay. Some of you could be in a job where it's really difficult to stay, but if God's called you to that for this time, then you need to stay. And so um, 
as we, uh, as we do that, it's important to keep it positive. We learned this in Ruth, with Ruth's story, to keep it positive. If God has called you to stay with where you're at, you need to remove the negative in your life. And I tell you what, my family knows this. Sometimes when God's called me to, to stay with something, to do with something, and, and I bring in the negative through that, it's, it's, it's not uplifting the God's call for me to stay with what, uh, where I'm living and where I'm going. And I, and, and I tell you, one of the things we're wrestling with, and our family and I wrestle with, is that we really desire to move to Emerson. So our family, we live in, in, in New Harley, and New Harley's a great place to live. We love, our, we love our house, love our neighborhood, but we're called to be here in Emerson. And, and I tell you, it's really a struggle because we, we wish we could just take where we live. Don't you ever wish you could just take your house and just move it somewhere else, you know? And so we obviously can't do that. And so we're just trying to wrestle with those things. And we're here in Emerson, work here in Emerson, and our life is here, but yet we've got to drive back and forth to you hardly. And I tell you, there are times in my life and times throughout the week that I'll just say something negative about that trip that we are making time and time again. And God has convicted me as I prepare for this message. God has convicted me. You need to control that. You need to remove the negative because I'm not going to bless it. I'm not going to bless it. And maybe that word is for you today. Maybe you're in a situation where you know that God is telling you, you need to stay right where you are. Or you need to just wait for me. And in the meantime, you need to keep the negative out. You need to keep it positive. Not only keep it positive, we need to keep it spiritual. Ruth brought in the spiritual. I will serve your God, Naomi. I will serve the God of Abraham, the Isaac, and of Jacob. I will bring in the spiritual. So keep it spiritual. We also learned when Jesus called the disciples, the first disciples, they, they could have stayed right where, they, right where they were, but Jesus was saying, hey, go. Actually, come and follow me. But leave where you are and go. Sometimes God has called us to go. Should I stay or should I go? And putting that into our life, how we can relate it, you may be in a situation to where you don't want your relationship, your marriage, whatever, to stay right where it's at. Maybe it's stagnant. Maybe it doesn't have life. Well, it needs to go somewhere. And what we found out with the disciples is Jesus said, hey, go to deeper water. Go to deeper water, cast out your nets, there's going to be a big catch. Well, I believe God is using that story to tell us, you need to go to deeper water. You need to stop being in shallow water with your marriage, with your finances, with your health, with certain relationships, with your walk with Christ. If your walk with the Lord is in shallow water and you want something big in your life, and you don't want it just to stay there, but you want it to go places. Y'all, we have to get to deeper water. Should I stay or should I go? Last week, we talked about how it's important to serve, how it's important uh, to serve. We, we use the, the example of, um, of, of moms. Moms serve very, very well. And how we, we, when we go on a trip, if you're on a, a long family trip, you are serving. 
people in the car. And it's usually mom who's doing that. Mom is the one who's bringing the extra water, the extra snack, and not just the snacks, but the particular snacks that every kid likes, specific snacks. And, um, and you even map out potty breaks and all of those things. I probably shouldn't say potty because our kids are too big, you know, but bathroom breaks, whatever. And so we, uh, we use those, uh, that as an example, just like moms on Mother's Day last week. But serving is an indication that you are following divine direction. Serving is an indication that you are following divine direction. I don't know about you, when your family goes on trips, when our family, when we go on a trip and we get lost, the kids know not to ask us for anything. Don't ask us any questions. Don't ask for, you know, extra snacks. Hey, can I have that bag of Doritos? If we're lost, guess what we're doing? We're focusing on trying to get to the destination. And so when we are not on that divine direction in our lives, then we, as the people of God, we will often disregard people. And so I would encourage you to think about your life. Are you in a season where you're, you're just not really serving? You're not maybe serving even the body of Christ or those around you, even those who, who are closest to you. If you are not serving, then there's a good chance, there's a good possibility that maybe you're not following divine directions, or it could be that you are lost. Not lost in, in a sense of, of, of not knowing Christ or, or you know, not going to heaven and spending eternity with him, but even, even Christians, we, we kind of lose our way. We get selfish sometimes, and because of that, we tend to stop serving others. And so, as we use the example last week with the, uh, with the boy who brought uh, fish, two fish and five loaves of bread, and, and that turned into feeding more than 5,000 people. Well, there was a mom, there was a motherly figure somewhere who packed that lunch. And that, that mundane, everyday act can turn into something miraculous. And we learned last week, hey, don't forget about the everyday mundane things because they can turn to miracles. And when we serve others, we are doing sometimes those mundane things. So serving is an indication that we are, uh, that we're following a divine direction. Two more indicators I'm going to talk about today as I finish up this series is connecting and trusting, connecting and trusting. You know, when you're, on a, um, when you're on a trip and you're going down the road and you're trying to follow the directions to a certain destination, um, you're going to connect as a family in different ways than if you're at home. I mean, you're, you're stuck in a, in a small vehicle and you're traveling down the road and there are things that you're going to learn about each other and smell about each other and, and all this kind of stuff, as, as you are traveling down the road, you're learning about each other well. Now, it may not always be a, a pleasant thing, but you are connecting in different ways than if you were to just stay at home. And so, a, as we talk about connecting, it's really important that whenever you and I are connecting with people, we need to be connecting with the right people. And we're made for connection. 
We are made to connect him. We're ultimately made for, to connect him with our holy God, to worship him with our life. But we are made for connection, and it's important that we connect with the right people. Graduates, you're going to have an opportunity to connect with some different people, whether you go to college, you know, or, or um, you, know, you know, go to another location, you know, or, or whatever you're doing, you're entering a new stage in life where there's going to be new connections. Can I tell you, graduates, you need to make sure you're connecting with the right people. You need to connect with the right people. The uh, sociologists, most sociologists agree that you eventually become the average of your five closest friends. You become the average of your five closest friends. So you need to look around you, and at graduates, as, as you're making new connections, you need to think, okay, is this someone I want to, I want to be like? Because I'm going to be like this person if, I'm, if they're one of my top five friends. But let's, let's spill that out over to us, not just our graduates, but all of us in this room and everyone listening online. You have five of your closest friends, and you are emulating them. You are more like them than anyone, anyone else. And so if you want to change that, you need to move some of those friends to another circle and bring in some other friends that you want to be like into your inner circle. For instance, your, your finances are going to look like the finances of your five closest friends. Your health is going to look, you're going to resemble the health of your five closest friends. Mostly. Your marriage is going to be an example, is going to resemble the marriage of your five closest friends. So you need to ask yourself this question. Who am I becoming? Who am I becoming? That's a question for all of us to ask. And, and we need to look around. And I'm not saying that we need to disregard or ignore certain people. I'm just saying our five closest friends that we're bringing into the inner circle, we need to be very, very careful who those people are. Because those people will help shape us and mold us. The people you know will determine the story you will tell. The people you know will, tell, will determine the story um, you will tell. And just know this, you are one friend away. You're one friend away from a, a, a better marriage as you maybe swap out some other friends in your inner circle. You're one um, mentor away from better finances. You're one coach away from better health. And so we need to ask ourselves, who am I becoming? As we look at the life of, in today's, um, in today's passage we're going to look at, at, at King David with connecting. And King David, and we've walked through King David, his life, uh, earlier on, several months ago, as uh, we did a whole series on David. But David had 
three friends in particular that show the kind of friends that we need. So I want to share with you three characteristics are three friends that you and I need in our life. So graduates, I hope you're paying attention because you have a great opportunity to make new friends. Number one, you need a friend that will challenge you. You need a friend that will challenge you. You need someone who sees something in you that others don't see. David had this friend in Samuel. Samuel was a prophet and the final judge of Israel. He was also a priest. So God told Samuel to go and anoint this kid to be the next king of Israel. Even though there was already a king, Saul being the first king, no one, not even his family, not even David saw this coming. Samuel helped David see himself the way God saw him. You need friends in your life who can see you the way God sees you, who can challenge you. As, as a song back in the early 90s said this, when, when others see a shepherd boy, God may see a king. If others see a shepherd boy, God may see a king. You need people in your life that will challenge you to say, I see something different in you, and you need to go to the next level. You need to go to the next level. You need people in your life who are, who are speaking into you and challenging you to go to greater lengths. Number two, you need a friend that will strengthen you. You need a friend that will strengthen you. Just as Samuel helped David see that God wanted to do more in his life than he had ever could imagine, you have a guy named Jonathan Help David find strength in the Lord. So Samuel anointed David as a teenager, the next king. Well, David didn't become like king right away. In fact, it was many years later that he actually sat on the throne because Saul was already the king. And then Saul was actually jealous of David, and, but his son Jonathan, Saul's son Jonathan, actually became really good friends with David. And Jonathan saw the error in his father's ways, in King Saul's ways. And so Jonathan disregarded the fact that he's not the next king. My friend David is. I mean, just think about that. That kingdom could be in his hands once his father passed away. But instead... He knew that God had anointed David, his friend, to be king. And even Saul wanted to, wanted to kill David. But Jonathan, Jonathan was there to strengthen David, as we see in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 15 through 17. It says this, while David was at Horesh in the desert as if he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. Who do you have in your life 
that is strengthening you. Who do you have in your life that you can call at any minute and you can say, man, things aren't going well. They can strengthen you with, with encouraging words, maybe even scripture, maybe even stop on the phone call and pray for you. When is the last time someone, instead of they say, hey, I'm going to pray for you, in the phone call they said, hey, I'm going to pray for you right now, and they pray for you over the phone. You need people in your life who will stop what they're doing and pray for you on the phone or pray for you right there in person. You need people in your life who will strengthen you, who will encourage you through all the junk that happens in your life. And let me tell you what, there's things that are happening in your life that and whether good things or bad things that you didn't cause. I mean, David was not like, hey, guys. Um, I'd like to be the next king. I mean, David didn't leave his field and go to the palace, knock on the door and say, hey, I would like to be the next king. He didn't do that. God is the one that chose him. And so God has chosen you to be where you are, who you're with, live where you live, work where you work. But sometimes there's junk in that. You need people in your life that will strengthen you and will encourage you. Five friends. How many of those five closest friends do that? So you need someone who will challenge you to be more than you ever thought you could be, to push you. You need someone to strengthen you. And you also need someone who will be honest with you. You know, this... And this needs to be someone outside, really outside of your family. I mean, your family is going to be honest. <laughs> I love it when our kids are honest with each other. <laughs> you know, it's fun to watch those, and hopefully they don't end up in a fist fight. You know, but this most, this most needed friend of your five in your inner circle is sometimes the most difficult one to find. Because you know what? We don't like to have this friend in our inner circle. We don't like to have this friend who will be honest with us in love, who will be honest with us and tell us like it is. Say, bro, you need to lose some weight. You know? You're not, you're not looking healthy. You know? Or, hey, I saw you and your wife. You're, you're, really, you're really arguing there. Is, there. is there something I could do to... Someone who will call you out. Someone who will speak into you and to be honest with you. Bro, you haven't come to church. You know? You need to have people in your life who will be honest with you. Who will be honest with you. Who are those five people? Um, David had this friend in the prophet Nathan. Um, as you know, in the time when kings went off to war, David decided to stay at home. And I firmly believe he did that for a reason. See, he actually knew Uriah and his wife Bathsheba. In fact, they were, they were neighbors. He could see her from his porch. And so when other kings would go off to war, David decided to stay behind and to fulfill any kind of sexual desires in his heart. And so 
David and Bathsheba connected, and she became pregnant to try to hide it. He brought Uriah home. Hey, hang on with your wife. Spend a few nights with your wife. He refused, and so David sent him back off to the war, had to put on the front lines. He was killed, murdered, case closed. Sin is covered. No problem. There is a problem. God spoke to the prophet Nathan. And Nathan could have just said, all right, God, uh, I see what you're telling me. And it's not like it was, it's not like other people didn't know. First of all, can I tell you something? You do something like that, there's always someone who knows. Absolutely. There's always someone who knows. And so, whether God spoke to Nathan or Nathan, Nathan was like, uh, I'm seeing this. This doesn't look right. I'm putting the pieces together. And so, Nathan could have just disregarded that, but he would have been disobedient to God. He decided to be honest with David. And so, he told David of his sin. And, of course, we see that David um, asked for forgiveness, but we see this, this word in 2 Samuel 12, 9. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. The enemy killed one of your soldiers. Everyone needs people in your lives who will be candid with you, who will be honest with you. Maybe you need to connect with someone who's willing to show you what you need to see so that you become the person you were meant to be. Say that again. Maybe you need to connect with someone who's willing to show you what you need to see in your life that you can't see so that you can become the person you were meant to be. So, we need an indicator. We need indicators in our life. And one of those indicators that we are following the divine direction is that we are connecting with people. We're connecting with the right people. We're connecting with people who we want to be like in that inner circle. And we're connecting with people who will who will challenge us and who will support us and who will be honest with us. So we've talked about connecting. That's an indicator. When you're connecting with people in healthy ways, you're going to find your divine direction because God is going to speak through those people. And then the other way that we, it's an indicator that we are following the divine direction is we are trusting we're trusting in the way God is speaking to us in our life. You know, when, when we follow this, this GPS on our phone, it's, it's not, sometimes it leads us to places where like we're scratching our head. We're like, all right, is this really right? I mean, literally, we've been on trips before 
where we have followed their GPS and we're totally trusting. I mean, this GPS can literally drive us off a cliff and we're there because we trust it so well. But there are times, and there have been times this has happened, it has literally led us to the backyard of someone's home. But we kept going. We're like waving, you know, and we just keep going. It's kind of out in the middle of nowhere, out in the country, but we're like driving on this dirt road, and it's somebody's house, you know, there's clothes on the line, you know, there's dogs running around, and we're driving, and, and, and there's doubt. <laughs> doubt is settling into our minds, especially from the, the person sitting next to the driver. <laughs> there's doubt going on to where, are you sure we're on the right track? Are we, are we following these directions right? Give me that. So we have doubt even when we're following the direction. But when that happens, we come through the backyard and all of a sudden there's a road about a half mile down the way and we turn around and we realize, oh wow, that just, that just saved us like 15 minutes. GPS knew exactly what they were doing, and we got to say hello to people along the way. And so when we, when we are trusting in God's divine direction in our life, let me tell you something. Sometimes there will be doubt, just as we see in the disciples. Because in Mark chapter 4, Verse 35 through 41. I love this story. It says this. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. That day when evening came, he, Jesus, said to the disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, inside, sleeping on a cushion. <laughs> the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this, even the wind and the waves? obey him. You know, I can't think, now listen to me, I can't think of anything that would give birth to doubt more than troubles appearing on the path of obedience to God. When you know you're following God and trouble comes, what's next? Doubt. Doubt. Doubt comes in. And, and let me tell you something. That is natural. That is natural. For example, you may hear the call to God to say, all right, we need to start giving to the Lord. We need to be generous. We need to give our tithes. We need to obey Scripture. We're going to do this. And a few months later, after giving faithfully to the Lord, Transmission goes out, refrigerator goes out, washer dryer and your air conditioner, all within a few weeks of each other. And you're like, see, there it is. 
we, we, we try to do some good things. We're, we're following this direction. It's like you're following your phone. See, now we're lost. And, 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 and what do we get? We're lost. We're trying to do right, trying to put our finances right, and all these things happen. It creates doubt. Let me tell you, it's going to happen. It will. For example, another example, dating. You could be like, you know, I, I just want to, I, I, I want to obey the Lord and who I date. I don't want to go far. I don't want to go where I need to, where, where I'm not supposed to go intimately in this relationship. I want to obey God. I want to, I want to date someone who is a follower of Christ, who loves Jesus. And I'm waiting for that person, and I'm waiting for that person. And every Friday night, it's just me, myself, and I. And I'm waiting. And I'm waiting. And doubt creeps in. Doubt creeps in. It could be a job. God's called you to be a a teacher. You get there, and the kids are like all demon-possessed. And you doubt. You're like, maybe I'm not supposed to do this. But you know you're following the Lord. Can I tell you something? Who told the disciples to get in the boat? Jesus. Jesus said, come get into the boat. So going into the storm was always a part of his plan. He knew there was a storm coming. Hey, guys. Come on, get in the boat. It'll be fun. The disciples didn't experience the storm because they were out of God's will. The disciples experienced the storm because they were in God's will. Let that sink in. The disciples didn't experience the storm because they were out of God's will. They experienced the storm because they were in God's will. When you're in God's will, sometimes you will have a storm, and those storms will create doubt in your life. They will. But let me tell you something. I would rather be obeying the divine directions in the middle of a storm than going my own way. Because the first option has Jesus in the boat. He has Jesus in the boat. Let me tell you something. The problem is, we're so focused on obedience. And obedience is good. I want to give the Lord a tithe. I want to date Christian people. I want to live a holy life. I want to, I want to hang around people who, will, who I want to be like. I, I want to do great things with my health, with my finance, whatever it is. And you're walking in obedience. Can I tell you something? That's great. But you're missing an element. Trust. 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 True God-given trust is this. When you can trust knowing that there's doubt. Okay, I'm doubting this, but I'm going to erase that. I'm going to replace that doubt with trust. We're driving along. We're following directions. We're in somebody's backyard. We're lost, surely. But, you know, we're still going to stick with this thing. And, oh, there we go. Look at that. 
You can't have obedience without trust. Because let me tell you something. Obedience will get you to point A to point B. Trust will get you from point A to point Z. Obedience gets you from point A to point B. I'm walking. I'm stepping in faith. Okay, good. You're not going to get to point Z without trust. Because there's going to be seasons of doubt. There's a song, it's an old hymn, most of y'all probably know this, it's called Trust and Obey. And the reason why the song is called Trust and Obey is because you really can't have one without the other. You've got to have obedience to trust, and you've got to have trust to continue to walk in obedience. Trust will get you through the marathon. Obedience will get you starting the marathon. Trust and obey. So these words, trust and obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy with Jesus, but to trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. As we are walking in that divine direction in our life, we're going to have indicators that we're serving, we're connecting, and we're trusting. Have you, first of all, obeyed God? And as you're in that obedience of walking that divine direction, are you trusting in God? 